Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3 to 9 scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at rightonoptics.com. That's right on R I T O N optics.com. On this episode, I talk with guest Kevin Wallenfang, Wisconsin DNR big game ecologist, go over some must know grunting tips, and how a man shoved his fist into a 400 pound grizzly's mouth to save his life. Hunt, 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 hunt. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. This is episode 26. I'm your host, Eric Clark, and today is Wednesday, November 4th, 2015. Um, obviously, I guess, and the year's closing up here soon, which is crazy. But what is more crazy, or crazier, I should say, is the rut. The rut is going on. Um, there's a lot of activity being reported through our Facebook page. Go check it out. I think we've had actually, um, a little over 30 photos shared with us, um, in the 2015 bow hunting gallery. So if you go to facebook.com slash where to hunt Wisconsin, you can get there that way. Um, there's a lot of photos to check out, and there's a lot of activity being reported on the rut. In fact, I put out a post the other day by request, uh, a rut report through an app that I use that kind of shows a heat map of user-generated data uh, and just kind of had that, that validated against where, where people are actually hunting and what they're really seeing uh, in different counties of Wisconsin. And by and large, the consensus is that the deer are moving. There's one particular report actually had stated you know, the deer are running around, with, uh, the bucks are running around with like their mouths are open. Uh, they're definitely chasing and so they're in their chasing phase. And today, um, part of this episode is going to be talking about the rut since it's so relevant right now. And uh, we'll find out more about what the chasing phase precisely is and, and what that means and how you can uh, leverage more knowledge about the rut from a scientific standpoint to um, try to get a, a big one this year. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring on the guest of the week. It's Kevin Wallenfang. He's the Wisconsin DNR big game ecologist. All right. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. Awesome. I'm glad you took time out of the woods uh, to be on the show. Uh, sounds like you had some work to do anyways, but we're glad to have you. Well, you know, to be honest with you, it's been a little bit slow the last uh, couple of days. So uh, giving the woods a little chance to rest and, and get a little caught up on the work isn't such a bad thing. Yeah, hopefully when you come back out there, it'll be nice and hot for you. It'll be moving around all over the place. Right. Um, well, tell, tell the audience about yourself a little bit. I have you classified as a, as a Wisconsin DNR big game ecologist. Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, what my job entails is I coordinate uh, pretty much anything that goes on within the deer program for the state. So, um, you know, all the, all the new rule changes, um, seeing that process through to the end, um, you know, a lot of annual things as far as permit issuance and the quota setting process and hunting regulations, all those kind of things, are they kind of fall onto my desk and I coordinate those on a daily basis. So you got your hands tied all the time. Sure work never yeah, ends. Yeah, pretty much. It's uh, never a dull moment, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I like what you said to me right before I right before I brought you on the show, which is um, you're a hunter first. 
I am. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how many years it is. I'm uh, I'm going on 49 years old, and I've been hunting every year since I was 12 years old here in Wisconsin. So I guess that puts me about 36, 37 years or so um, out in the deer woods. And uh, this is my favorite time of the year. Like a lot of guys, look forward to, to getting out during the rut. So yeah, this is a, a fun topic to talk about, and I've got plenty of firsthand experience just in the last couple of days I can share with you. Well, heck so yeah, heck yeah. Um, so you answered some of the questions right out the gate. One question I ask every person that comes on the show is, uh, do you hunt public land? Do you hunt private land? Do you hunt both? I hunt both, actually. Um, you know, I'm, I live down in the southern part of the state, and um, I've been very lucky over the years. I've got some, some very nice private properties that I hunt down here. Um, but when I go up to the northern part of the state, I actually have a place up in Vilas County, and uh, boy, what a what a privilege it is to live in a state that has the kind of public land access that we have. Um, and uh, I'm I'm right in the middle of uh, you know I I spend time in the Schwamigan Nicolay National Forest um, and up uh, the Highlands uh, State Forest in Vilas County. So I get out and do a little bit of both, and you know I I can tell you too that in my experience it's uh, sometimes night and day as to what you find on each. So each has its frustrations, uh, each has its good side. So as hunters, we learn to to deal with them all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's where I actually cut my teeth hunting was in the Nicolay. It's where I had my first ever hunting experiences and it took me a long time to get my first deer. But I tell you, I really appreciate the, the ability to have that type of access. It's a lot of land up there. You know, just to share a little tidbit here, I just had some guys, uh, as I think you probably know, are very involved in an elk reintroduction project right now. Yes. And, um, I invited a few of the guys from Kentucky uh, to come up here and they spent a, a week with me, and we grouse and woodcock hunted, but the one thing that they just were astonished by is the amount of public land that we have, uh, especially in the northern part of the state. They they kind of laughed when I you know, told them at first that I had a little place on five acres, and they thought, what are we going to do on five acres? <laughs> uh, but when it butts up to you know tens of thousands of acres, they just could not get over the idea that you could get out of your car and pretty much walk all day. So... We're lucky here in Wisconsin. It's a it's a great state to live in, especially if you're a deer hunter, and and we're lucky to have those places to go. It's it's it gets a little little uh, challenging in my job at times when you know you have people that are are frustrated and they say I can't find a place to hunt, and boy, there are spots out there if you just go looking for them, you can find them. Yeah, people. Um, it seems like convenience is a big factor. Well, hunting is not so convenient, so it's called hunting. And this yeah. year alone, I've already touted on this on this uh, show that. I've been out hunting due to work. I've only gotten out a couple of times, but four times in each instance, I've hunted new property that I've never hunted before. Um, one of them was, but it was a different area of the property. So it was a little bit new for me. And then I'm going out this Saturday and Sunday, same thing. I'm going to just keep exploring, try new spots because I don't want to burn out my, you know, I burned out the spots that I go to, but again, there's just so much opportunity. I'm down in the Southern part of the state also. And there, there's surprisingly quite a bit of land down here. How many acres are of, of public hunting land are available in Wisconsin for access. Do you, well, do you know? Boy, you got me on a corner on that one, but I think Sorry. it's well over a million. I mean, it, you know, it, it kind of comes down to what you defined as public land or, you know, public access yeah. land. You know, we've got state forests and national forests and, and uh, you know, public hunting grounds, but then you add on top of that all the county forest that is open uh, because of things like managed forest law. Yep. Um, and all the timber company land that allows public access, we've got, you know, I, I believe it's well over a million acres in the state. Yeah, that's 
that's what I've read. I was just curious if you knew off the top of your head for the listeners. Um, we'll go ahead and get into the, the topic of discussion for this week, which is uh, what seems to be happening right now, the rut. So, Well, it's trying. It should be happening, but it <laughs> seems to be starting out a little bit slow. But it can, it's, not, it's not a constant um, definitive thing throughout the entire state. I'm sure different, like, you know, south... Eastern Wisconsin is different than southwestern Wisconsin, which is different than the northern hemisphere, so on and so forth. R- right? It's not suddenly it's on and it's everywhere. I well, can imagine. you know, in some ways it is. I mean, you know, the geographic size of Wisconsin is not going to make you know northern Wisconsin rut a whole lot different than the southern Wisconsin okay, rut. Okay. But, but you know, I mean, there's a lot of suppressors out there. There's a lot of things that affect the rut. And, you know, year after year, because of our location in the world, um, because of things like winter severity and spring green up, you know, the changing of our seasons and things like that, our northern rut is pretty well defined. And the reason for that is because those deer, you know, they need to, they need to breed pretty much at a certain time. They need to recover from that rut so they can survive a winter. Uh, they need to be able to drop that fawn at a certain time in the spring to ensure that there's, you know, spring greenup is happening and that that doe is going to be well nourished and able to feed that fawn. So, you know, our rut in the northern part of the country uh, typically is is going to be a bit more, yeah, I'll, I'll use the word intense, and I'm sure that you're going to have people listening to this and saying, ah, that's, you know, that's fooey, I see this, I see that. Well, the rut is a very complex thing. There are no lines in the sand there's you know there's never uh there's nothing out there that you can say this is exactly how it's going to be it's uh some of those suppressors you know um the temperatures right now are very very warm lots of guys i've been talking to over the last couple of days in my own experience i've been spending 11 hours a day in the tree the last few days here and it's been hot hot weather i mean we've got temperatures over 70 degrees and, you know, typically a lot of the research will tell you that when you get over about 45 degrees, those deer have their winter coats on, those bucks are not able to run real hard, um, and they, I mean, you know, the activity just kind of goes in the tank for a few days until things cool off again. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. And as a matter of fact, I was looking at harvest data over the weekend, and, you know, we've got this new electronic registration system now, so we can look by day as to how many deer are getting registered. And when you compared uh, this year's registration over the last weekend compared to last year, and this is, you know, Halloween to me is really when things should start getting hot and heavy. That's how I've always believed it to be, yep. Yeah, and you look at harvest data from this year when it was 65, 70 degrees all weekend compared to the same time last year when the rut was kicking in pretty good. Uh, We're shooting about a third per day of the number of deer that we were shooting at the same time last year. So you can't tell me that the weather doesn't have something to do with it. It absolutely does as far as... as uh, yeah, the data you know. doesn't lie. I mean, yeah, it's not just pure coincidence or anything like that, obviously. No, I don't the think the common it is. denominator, the, the, <laughs> the temperature. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can sit out there. That's the other great thing about the rut is, you know, pretty much anything can happen. I know guys that have shot, you know, Pope and Young Bucks at noon, uh, you know, when it's 75 degrees out, it does happen. Um, but when you're really looking for that, you know, super intense rut that we all get really excited about and you're sitting in a stand and you see six, eight, ten bucks in a day and they're chasing does all day long, you know, those are the kind of days where you really start looking for that cooler temperature. You're looking for all the stars to align. 
uh, on those days. And, you know, talking about some of the other suppressors, you know, some guys swear by the moon phases. Personally, when it comes to deer hunting, I've never put a whole lot of stock in the moon myself. I'm not going to let the moon dictate when I go hunt. When I can hunt, I have to go hunt. Correct. <laughs> you yeah, know, and yeah. just based make, on what your schedule is. Um, you know, the the hunting pressure out there, things like baiting, your buck-to-doe ratios, the number of mature bucks out there, all those kind of things can influence the intensity of what's going on. Well, some of the some of the things, this isn't going to be kind of like the rut 101, uh, the basics, but as far as I understand, there's three stages to the rut, pre-rut, full-rut, and post-rut, Correct. Well, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, there's, from the scientific world, I guess you kind of look at it from what they would consider a seeking stage, okay. so you're getting a lot of activity going on, uh, then you have a chasing stage, and then you have a breeding stage. Um, now, if you believe what you see on TV, they might tell you there's 13 different phases of the rut, so you got to kind of take some of what you see out there with a little bit of a grain of salt, but... Sure. You know, I, I guess in the scientific world, it's kind of an uh, agreed standard that there's, you know, sort of three phases to things. You've got this seeking phase phase where, you know, the bucks are really getting active. You see a lot of rubbing and scraping activity. Um, you know, this tends to last for, you know, say a week or so. And then you start getting into the chasing phase where, you know, you'll still see some of that rubbing and scraping activity, but... Um, you know, you, that's when you really see the bucks chasing the does. You get those really intense chases with maybe a couple of different bucks going. Um, you, this is typically when you see more of the fighting going on. If you hear a buck's getting locked up, it's kind of typically during that, that stage of things. And that'll last for a few days, and then you go into the breeding phase. And, you know, that's when your, your scrapes just kind of go dead on you. The bucks seem to get locked down. The does are moving a lot less. Um, that typically lasts for a couple of weeks, but, you know, as I started out by saying the rut is a complex thing and there's no, there's no lines in the sand. So, you know, you see, you, you can see any of this given activity over several weeks. Um, all those does don't come into heat at exactly the same time. So, you know, you can have a very intense, uh, chase going on pretty much, you know, any time in the month of November and into, you know, even into October. They used to talk about a false rut um, occurring in the middle of October. Well, science will tell you that actually some of those very uh, mature does that are several years old actually get bred in as early as mid-October, and, and we'll see that with very early born fawns. So there's no there's no sure thing. You just got to spend your time out there and and uh, hunt when you can hunt, hunt as much as you can, and hope for the best. Well, it is nature, so there, you're right. There's no guaranteed thing. If I'm going to leverage um, certain things, like you talk about the the chasing phase, I would think based on based on how that sounds, that the deer would be more prone to responding to things like grunt calls and and rattling and decoys and, and a stress scent or a stress sense things like that. Um, do you do any of that when you're hunting? You know, I used to do a lot of that kind of stuff, and I, I kind of, to be honest with you, I kind of got away from it. One of the things with me is I just don't like to haul a lot of stuff with me in the woods. Mm -hmm. So even hauling a set of rattling horns or something like that, <laughs> it's just my personal preference is I just like to go and sit quietly. The one thing that I do take with me is a grunt call. Um, and I do use that a fair bit. Um, and you know, I'll use it throughout the entire rut into November. I've used it during the rifle season here in Wisconsin too. Um, but I would say that by far, 
the most responses that I've ever gotten from that are right around those few days around Halloween, you know, four or five days before and maybe a week after. Right. And it's so funny with that kind of stuff. It's, it's always hard to know if it was actually effective or not. Sometimes some people will swear by it, but it's hard. It's hard to say, like you said, there's so many variables, so many things going on. It's so complex. Well, you know, I think something like a grunt call or rattling, I mean, when a deer comes into those, they're usually pretty fired up. Um, A lot of the times that I've called deer in with a grunt tool of some sort, I've actually seen or heard that deer first, Um, so you could actually see the response of the deer, you know, and they'll be walking along, and you hit that thing once or twice, and they'll stop, and the head will pop up, and they'll turn, and they'll come right to you, but... You know, it's like calling anything else. Sometimes it works, and most of the time it doesn't. So, yeah. But you know, you you definitely can see the results of it. That's pretty cool. Um, gosh, and so like, what? I had all these questions. We're just flowing along here perfectly, and I love it. It's exactly kind of what, I, what I'm after. <laughs> Carrie Carrie Zilka referred me to you, and and she said you're you're a great interview, and she's absolutely correct. <laughs> oh, thank you. We we did a fun interview with her, and I forget her partner's name. Uh, another woman she has on her show with her. We had a fun time last year. That's cool. Um, things that hunters should know this this year going into like the the gun the gun season. I know is like right around the corner. Since you're since you're with the DNR, any any tips or anything like that? Or uh, I know, like you you mentioned the electronic. This is off topic, but you you mentioned the electronic registration. Um, is that in full effect now, or is that still a beta thing? It is in full effect. Actually, uh, every deer hunter out there will need to use that now, um, and it's a very simple system. Anybody that uh, turkey hunts will know exactly how to use it. I mean, pick up the telephone and takes about six or seven minutes to get through it um, on the phone it takes you about a minute if you do it on the internet but you're going to just go on and you're going to answer the same questions that you always have um, as, you know registering your deer in the past but you're just not going to fill out that piece of paper anymore um, it's it's still mandatory so just because it went to the telephone doesn't mean you don't have to do it anymore it's still mandatory um, you will get a confirmation number when it's complete um, it's been fun for us to use a little bit, uh, you know, like the information I provided to you earlier. I couldn't have told you that last year uh, as right. to what, you know, weekly harvest is looking like because um, we just didn't have that information available. We wouldn't know how many deer got shot on any given day until, you know, February. And now within a couple of days, I can give you that information. So it's been fun to look at. And uh, I was actually looking at it myself uh, today because, I, you know, I started thinking, boy, if my hunting is this bad, <laughs> and uh, and other folks that I've been talking to are all pretty much saying the same thing, they're just not seeing a lot of activity these last few days, um, you know, well, I wonder what the statewide picture looks like, and like I said, we are shooting uh, this year, uh, just on last weekend alone, we shot about a third of the same uh, of deer uh, during that same period as we uh, as last year, that first couple of days in November, so Kind of interesting stuff that uh, electronic registration is already showing us. Yeah, that's actually really, really exciting from a data perspective to see that kind of information so so soon, like in the moment, almost real time. It's got to be really Yeah, cool. and you know, you mentioned the gun season coming up. During the gun season, it almost is going to be real time. Right. Um, we're uh, rigging something up right now that will be on our Internet site, and we may go as frequently as every 15 minutes, but at least about every hour. Sure. Uh, we're going to be updating uh, registration numbers, so it's, it's you know it's not going to necessarily tell you how many deer got shot in the last hour, but it's going to tell you how many folks registered a deer in that last 
you know, hour or so. So, um, yeah, we've never had those capabilities before. Um, it, there's been a little bit of grumbling about it, you know, folks that like the old traditional ways and things like that. But uh, for the most part, um, folks are using it, and it's giving us uh, nice, quick information and, um, you know, sheds a little bit of light on, on what's really going on out there in the world, like I, like I shared with you earlier. So yeah. it's been fun. Yeah, I'm cool with it. I know a lot of other states that do it have had a lot of success. I think it's, I think it's fine. Like it, it's almost expected. Like how have we not been doing it already? So right. Yeah. I'm sure once That's the transition some, is done, people will be feel fine. That way. Yeah, and you know, other states told us that too. They told us that it would be a little bit of a challenge the first couple of years or the first year, and then once people got used to doing it, they'll they'll wonder why we never had it before. So yep, it's working exactly. out fine. Yeah. Um, I hope that uh, it would seem the expectation is that if a cold front's coming through here. It should be on. <laughs> I sure hope so. Um, it's supposed to cool off Thursday night, and uh, I'm going to be hitting it again on, on uh, Friday and over the weekend. It sounds like the wind's going to be pretty hard, but, you know, one of the things that uh, I learned as a young man, I, had a, I was really lucky. I had a neighbor uh, that was a real ardent bow hunter, and uh, the guy shot an awful lot of deer. He was kind of my hero when I was a kid because he shot so many bucks with a bull. And he used to tell me, he said when the temperature dropped at least 20 degrees in a 24-hour period, didn't matter what the wind was doing, if it was a hurricane, he said that the deer would be moving. And I went out and tested that theory for myself uh, quite a few times, and I found that most days he's usually right. Um, so it's going to be windy this weekend, but we're going to get a fairly significant temperature drop. Mm-hmm. And guys ought to be out this weekend because I think that things are – I'm hoping. Maybe it's just wishful thinking on my part, but something's got to kick into overdrive here. I'm going to be feeling the same way. I'm going to be out there going, come on, something's going to have to be <laughs> Like, if I don't see anything, it is 110% my fault. I did something yeah. wrong. Well, you know, but, you and know. a lot of guys, too, they're saying they're seeing their deer, they're seeing big deer on, on trail cameras, but they're just not seeing them in the woods. And, you know, this is the one time of the year um, I think it's the one thing that really gets us all fired up about hunting during the rut. It's, you know, it's that one time of the year where that big deer, you know, the, the urge to procreate is going to overcome everything else in his world. Logical and that's the one lines. time of the year that you're going to catch him out in the daylight hours. So, cool. um, hopefully that's going to happen this weekend. Hopefully, um, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here. We'll end with uh, a final note of you've been hunting for a real long time. I think you said it was like 30 some odd years. I won't, I won't age you too much here, but, um, do you have, do you have like a favorite story of deer hunting? Oh man. I yeah. Right. The wheel spinning. Stories. Uh, you know, one or, or most memorable. Is, yeah. The, the one deer that's probably most special to me is actually, it's the biggest deer that I ever killed is about 152 incher. And it, it wasn't necessarily the size of that deer, but it was probably the one time in my life that I saw this deer. I saw it in, I think it was late July, and I just, I fell in love with this thing. And it was an odd year because every time I hunted, every place I went, didn't matter where on a property that I sat, this deer would walk by me at some time. And I think I saw him like six or seven times that fall. And I finally killed him on, I think it was, actually, I think today is the anniversary. It's either November 4th or 5th. Um, and uh, he came by me, and I shot him, and, you know, ended up getting him. He didn't go more than about 100 yards, but, it you know, it was kind of one of those, wasn't a perfect hit. I hit him back a little bit in the in the liver, and 
he went down the hill and I thought he was probably dead and I went looking for him and he jumped up and he ran about 50 yards and I backed away from him and went and sat in my tree for about another hour and a half and what you know walked down there and he was laying right where I'd last seen him the ironic thing was that he was laying under a tree that I had shot my previous biggest deer out of Gosh. um so he died under that same tree and you know it, I guess when it comes to it was one of those moments where you thought to yourself I may never shoot a deer this big again and I just remember sitting next to that deer for probably about 10 minutes, probably as close to being in shock as I've ever been. Because, you know, over the years, you see a lot of a lot of nice deer and you see some really big deer. And then they just disappear and it doesn't seem like anybody ever killed them. Yep. You never hear about where they went. And this was just one of those deer that I just kind of had this relationship with all summer long and into the fall. And I ended up getting him and it would just seem like a miracle to me. So that one's probably probably pretty special um in the grand scheme of things the other one would probably be my very first one um i told you about uh my neighbor well his yep. kid was actually sitting in the tree with me when i shot it it was on the fourth day of the bowl season i was only 12 years old uh he was in the tree with me and i shot this little bitty five pointer and and uh another just one of those great memories that uh i don't know you, you, there's a lot of things in life you forget but you never seem to forget your first deer no no i haven't forgotten mine either so it's it's like well i finally finally made it happen you know yeah holy cow this is what it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean those ones that just seem like a miracle you know are always the really special ones sometimes they just seem to come so easy and you kind of go oh that was you know, that was That's what all this was for? I waited this many years for this to happen? What the heck? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you got so, the guys that walk in the first time ever, and within five minutes they take the biggest buck that you've ever seen. It's like, oh, great. Well, yeah, you better you count know, your lucky kinda, stars, pal. It's never going to happen again. <laughs> I kind of feel sorry for those guys because, yeah, uh, you know, I really, really respect the guys that work very hard at it, and, you know, they're they're willing to they're willing to put in their time, and, you know, there's, there's just too much in this world these days of, People want to do it fast and easy, and they complain when it's not fast and easy. And and you know, I just I really enjoy talking to those guys that put their time in and they they learn. They don't expect anything. Uh, they don't uh, they don't blame somebody else when something goes wrong. They just do the best they can. And you know, every that's couple of years be. they Absolutely. get lucky and yep. get what they get. So I always feel lucky if I at least see something. That's that's usually a win for me because you know, hunting the nickel a. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that we did, I, maybe I'm, I'm taking you too long here, but, you know, oh, one no, of the things fine. that we didn't talk about is hunting pressure and how that can affect uh, the rut as well. And, um, you know, there have been some studies done out there that would, would show you that, um, you know, unpressured deer uh, tend to spend, you know, do a lot of their rutting activities, more than 50% of it in the daylight hours, where animals that are on, you know, more heavily hunted public grounds or, or, you know, even private grounds that are very heavily hunted spend a lot less of their time actually running out in the daylight hours. Um, so, you know, your guys that are hunting public ground, I, my hat's off to them when they can take a deer because they're hunting those deer under the toughest of most conditions. So there's lots of great places to find public hunting grounds uh, around the state. Like I said earlier, you can get away from the crowds. Um, even here in southern Wisconsin, we've got a lot of public hunting grounds that are actually very underutilized. So if you put your time in and are willing to get off the beaten path a little bit, it might take you a canoe to do it or something like that. But those spots are out there. Yeah, and they're rewarding too. So yep. 
That's cool. Well, thank, thanks again, Kevin, for taking time out of the woods to be on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Not that you'd be out here right now. Anyways, it's dark out, but nonetheless. Well, I'm certainly not tracking one right now. Yeah. So, no, my pleasure. I uh, I hope anybody listening is having a great fall, and, and uh, best of luck to them all. Good to go. Have a great night. You bet. Take care. Looking for a spot to hunt? Download the free Where to Hunt app for your smartphone today. Avoid hunters, see less people, see more deer. With the Where to Hunt app, you will know where other hunters are before you see them. Just search Where to Hunt from the App Store to download today. All right, the tip of the week this week, um, considering it is the rut, there's some cool little pointers I came across. There's a lot of information out there. Some of this is going to be subjective. Um, but coming from OutdoorLife.com, there's an article, Deer Hunting Tips, How to Really Use a Grunt Call. And and some of this stuff, uh, again, just, just to keep it top of mind while you're out there, things, uh, do's and don'ts, I guess. So you'll be able to determine which one of these or of these are, are legitimate or not legitimate. Some of them are kind of meh but some are pretty good so um you know grunt grunt call repeatedly in areas in early to mid-october it can be it can hurt to blow it can't hurt holy crap i'm sorry everyone it can't hurt to blow half a dozen moderately loud grunts every 20 to 30 minutes uh do this whenever you're archery hunting in in a, a draw on a ridge or where deer move between bedding and feeding areas you should also grunt periodically from a stand near a bedding area your calls might cause a deer to sneak over to investigate um, grunt to out of range bucks, blind calling. And I've talked about this before. We had a guest, um, with Beaver Creek game calls a few episodes back. Um, Patrick Irkfix, Irk, Irkfitz, um, who actually makes these calls had a lot to say about that. So it's a good episode to check out too, actually. And blind calling can work. Um, but a grunt call really shines when the buck has been spotted. So if it's, if it's walking past, um, you know, you see it and it's far enough away, give it a shot. It's not going to hurt anything. You know, um, some other things the article says, get aggressive. Most of the time after stopping and looking, a buck will continue on his way. Don't just sit there, grunt more, you know, and louder. Um, what do you mean? Like I said, what do you have to lose? A- add to the realism is another bullet point they have here, which from around November 5th to the peak of the rut, um, make some stress doe ble- bleats with a can type call followed by some, some, uh, tendon grunts. So kind of create an interaction, create a sense of realism. Like it says, um, make it seem like it's legitimate and genuine. So you have a greater chance of getting them to come in, um, crank it up in the rut. And, and again, the topic of the week being the rut, that's what's happening right now. We're in it. Uh, I'll be out Saturday and Sunday this weekend. I can't go out during the week, which, which just simply breaks my heart. But, um, some of the best calling success occurs during the peak of the rut. Obviously that would make a lot of sense. And, and uh, it's when the bucks are on the prowl, scraping and seeking does, crank it up by blowing loud, choppy, tending grunts every 30 minutes or so. Uh, the call should sound something like erp, 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 and then use five to 10 second sequences. Uh, a buck might come to what he thinks is a rival, a rival trailing a doe. Um, so cool. You don't try that out. Tone it down post rut. That makes sense. I'm not going to go into all of that there. Um, grunting don'ts. Don't blind call in feeding areas. Uh, don't fret about your call sound. Uh, this person actually denotes having called in or, or heard 10 pointers making wimpy nasal grunts and eight pointers grunt deeper than quote unquote market hogs. 
don't be afraid to grunt. Blair grunt too loud enough to get the Bucks' attention. On windy days, you have to really bear down on it. Uh, don't break your call. You know, don't go too hard. But I've lost a call earlier earlier this season, which kind of was disappointing because I liked that one quite a bit. Uh, don't grunt to a nearby buck. Uh, if he's already walking your direction, that's another thing too. If he's already coming your way, there's not really a need to do that. You're going to end up fumbling around with your grunt call or trying to reach forward or make movement that might not be necessary. Uh, and especially don't use a call to stop a buck. You know, just do, do, you know, something with your mouth, you know, a voice grunt once or twice, something that'll get them to stop. Um, and what's the last thing they have here? Don't grunt blandly. I'll just go ahead and read this verbatim. Many people grunt in a monotone. Don't. If you sit and blow three or four soft grunts every hour, you'll probably never recall in a deer. But if you put some life into your routine by varying the volume and excitability of your grunts, you'll have better luck. And, uh, you know, luck can always be on our side. Every time your buddies go hunting or you leave a friend in the woods, you go different part different ways, you always say good luck, you know, good luck, good luck, good luck. Well, all right, well, luck can't hurt, so... Give it a try. Those are my tips for the week. If you have anything to comment on, if you've had a uh, success with grunting, let us know. If you have any tips or anything like that, it'd be great to hear some some feedback. And uh, we'll, we'll move on here. So back in October, um, I have an article here from 10.5.15. A hunter fends off grizzly by shoving arm down its throat. Apparently, it's a well-known tactic that this particular individual, Chase Delwo, had learned from his, his grandmother. Um, apparently, there was uh, conditions that made... They were, they were out, him and his brother, Shane, were elk hunting in Montana in the backcountry. And uh, they had encountered a, a massive grizzly bear by incident because the visibility was so low. There was snow and, and wind. Um, so the bear didn't hear them coming. They didn't see it until he was about three feet away, is what the article states here. And uh, there wasn't much in that particular moment that he could do. He had an arrow knocked. Um, he said, I had an arrow knocked, and I put my bulb in front of me and took a, took a few steps back. Um, but there wasn't any time to draw back. So the grizzly knocked him off his feet and uh, bit him several places across his head and then reared back and, and gave a huge roar. And the bear attacked him again, biting his right leg. It was at this point that he recalled the survival tip about how bears have sensitive gag reflexes. Go figure. So he literally plunged his arm down the bear's throat and the bear bolted. It says it promptly left. Now he was shot... Um, in his leg by I believe his brother from what it says here in the whole mix up because it was a crazy scenario and he got 50 stitches in his hand and that's it he says so very fortunate that way I mean obviously the worst case scenario would have been his life it's a big animal it's a scary situation I can't believe that in that instance his mind went back to that uh, well let me shove my hand down its throat in a million years I wouldn't have thought of that so if you ever encounter a bear and run into something like that and you have no other resort Go ahead and think about that for a second. Um, that's a pretty incredible story. This is from, um, I'm getting it, my dad actually shared it with me uh, via text with a picture of a newspaper article, but I went and Googled it and found uh, a good read on it on outdoorhub.com. 
And uh, just for reference, again, the article is titled Hunter Fends Off Grizzly by Shoving Arm Down Its Throat. So pretty crazy stuff out there. Hunt safe, be aware, and if you get attacked by a bear, um, you know, just stick your arm down its throat. If you get the opportunity, it might save your life. Have a great day. Hunt public land. I am a hunter and I am safe. I love to hunt in the United States. I've always got my ear for